0: Thank you, Graham, appreciate that very much. Isn't it true that he does meet our needs as we trust in him, no matter what our needs are? Have you ever had a life-changing experience? I know that many of us have. It might have been an accident. It might have been a doctor's appointment. Or on a good side, it might have been a college scholarship that came our way. Or a new job that really made a difference in our lives. Or it might have been a wedding. Um, Michael and Alyssa are getting married on June the 11th. We're excited about that. And um, that'll change their lives. And then, then when we have kids, that's definitely a life-changing experience. Well, the disciples had a life-changing experience in Matthew 4, 19. We talked about it last week. Follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Peter and Andrew left their nets John and James left their boats, left their fathers. They forsook all and followed Jesus Christ and made all the difference in the world. It was a life-changing experience. Of course, when you think about follow me and I will make you fishers of men, it has to do with relationship, transformation, and impact. Uh, Follow me, that's relationship, is it not? I will make you, that is transformation. If we think that we do not need to change, then we must think we're already totally like Jesus. Because if we're not like Jesus, do we not need to change? I will make you, that's transformation. Fishers of men, that's impact. Making an eternal impact on people by sharing the good news of Jesus Christ with them, serving one another, and so on. We need to focus on relationship, transformation, and impact. We need to focus on the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, right after Jesus said these words, he did some things which he wanted his disciples eventually to do. If you'll turn to Matthew chapter 4, verses 23 to 25, we're going to look at three primary portions of scripture, but this is the first one, Matthew chapter 4, verses 23 through 25. It says, Jesus went about all Galilee doing three things. Number one, teaching in their synagogues. Number two, preaching the gospel of the kingdom. And number three, healing all kinds of sickness and all kinds of disease among the people. Then his fame went throughout all Syria. They brought to him all sick people who were afflicted with various diseases and torments and those who were demon-possessed, epileptics and paralytics, and he healed them. Great multitudes followed him from Galilee and from Decapolis, Jerusalem, Judea, and beyond the Jordan. Jesus made a difference in the lives of many people. But as we look at this portion of scripture, first of all, we see the example of Jesus. Right after he said, follow me and I will make you fishers of men, he engaged in teaching, preaching, and healing. Now, teaching is basically explaining something. If you're teaching, if you're an effective teacher, you're good at communicating, explaining what a certain truth is. And, and we need to be involved, not just pastors, not just Sunday school teachers, but all of us need to be involved to some extent in teaching the word of God. It might be to our children. It might be to our grandchildren. It might be to neighbors. It might be somebody else. We don't have to lower our voice and act very spiritual when we do it. I really did think about when I came up here 14 years ago, I thought about lowering my voice and always preaching that way, but I figured I couldn't do it all the time. So I, decided not to do it. But it does sound good, does it not? Everybody thinks I ought to preach like that. Raise your hand. Everybody thinks that I better not do that. Raise your hand. Nobody. Okay. We have a few hands going up. Number one is teaching, explaining. And and I love to explain God's word because I believe it's so important. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine or for teaching. Number two, Jesus engaged in preaching. Preaching is a little bit more than teaching. Teaching is explaining something. Preaching is exhorting someone to take action. Of course, when we teach, uh, we ought to be taking action as well as we learn. But when we're preaching, we are proclaiming the good news about Jesus Christ. We are encouraging, exhorting people to take action. And Jesus preached according to Matthew 4.23, the The gospel of the kingdom. Now, what's the word gospel mean? Good news. In the gospel of the kingdom, good news, the fact that God is in control. Now, as we think about the world around us today, aren't you glad that God is sovereign? Because as we look around, we look at Ukraine, we look at Washington, we look at various things going on. Sometimes it can be discouraging. But God is still sovereign. He still works things together for good. We can still trust him. But the gospel, the good news, is found in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. It says that Jesus died, he was buried, and he rose again. That's that's what the gospel is all about. The fact that we are sinners and we deserve to die and spend eternity separated from God. But Jesus died for us. He paid the penalty for our sins so that we could be saved. And he proved it by the resurrection. He showed that he had the power to save us because he was raised from the dead. So he preached the gospel of the kingdom. And we need to to do the same thing. John 1 12 says, as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the children of God, even to them that believe in his name. That's the gospel. We receive Christ, we believe on Jesus. We depend on him to save us because he died on the cross and we have everlasting life. Teaching, preaching, healing. Now, let me share my thoughts on healing. There's some that say basically that healing took place right at the beginning of Christendom, right at the beginning after the resurrection, and that it was to show that the gospel was true. It was a confirmation of the gospel, a confirmation that the word of God was true. And I believe there's a lot of legitimacy to that. There's some people, and and they, they say that there's no more healing today. Some people say that you can just go out and heal people anytime you want to type thing. I think it's somewhere in between there. Can God still heal? There's no doubt about it. Can, does he still heal? I believe he does, but I don't believe that it is a scenario where we can just say, I'm going to go out and heal somebody today. I don't, I don't see that necessarily in scripture. I look at Paul, Paul had a thorn in the flesh. He prayed three times that it might be taken away. And what did God say? God said, no. Timothy, he apparently had some stomach issues. And, and Paul didn't get together with him and heal him. Although Paul did heal some people, Paul instead said, you need to drink some wine for your stomach. In other words, you need to, to uh, have some medicinal uh, situation going on here. So I think it's somewhere in between. And I believe that we need to be careful not to deny the power of God in healing, but at the same time, we don't need to think that, well, if I'm not healed or if my friends aren't healed or my family's not healed, that means we don't have faith. There are certain times in scripture where miraculous things took place on a regular basis. Then there were other times where it was not quite as regular. But God was still in control and he can still do anything he wants to. Is that not correct? Now one thing about the healing is this though. It's obvious that Jesus was concerned about the needs of people. I appreciated the song that Graham Son, talking about the fact that God provides our needs. Jesus provided the needs of people. Not only did he heal, what else are some of the things that he did? One is that there were 5,000 men plus women and children that didn't have any food. And he took five loaves, two fishes, multiplied them, and all of them ate. He provided the need for food. And, and we, we also see that the disciples had dirty feet. And he washed the feet of the disciples. So we see him providing physical needs in different ways. I believe that that when we think about the ministry of the church, we need to follow suit. We need to be involved in teaching and preaching, which is spiritual. And I think it's primary because it has eternal ramifications. Think about that for just a minute. If a person does not know Jesus Christ as Savior, according to the word of God, they're going to spend eternity separated from God in hell. That's serious. And so we need to make sure we're proclaiming the good news of Jesus Christ, teaching them the word of God because it is inspired, it's profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, and that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished to all good works. But it's not just a focus on the spiritual, it's a focus on the physical as well, trying to meet the needs of people. And I appreciate the way that so many here at the church do that through the food closet and, and, and through helping uh, feed different groups and, and, and things of that nature. Uh, I believe there are a lot of people that are serving others. In fact, in Galatians chapter 5 and verse number 13, it, it says that we need to through love serve one another. So the example of Jesus right after he said, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men is that he engaged in teaching, preaching, and healing. And his disciples were supposed to be watching him and saying, okay, this is the way that the master is doing it. The one who's discipling me is doing it. This is what I need to do. So we, we see the example of Jesus. And, and, and in Matthew chapter five, verse seven, we got the Sermon on the Mount. We got a long sermon that he taught and preached. We also see the exhortations of Jesus throughout scripture, and we need to take them to heart. I think sometimes we, we look at what Jesus taught us intellectually, but we really don't take it to heart. We really don't make sure that we are passionately applying what God said to us, what Jesus said to us. There are two primary things that he said. He said a whole lot. But two things are, number one, the great commandment, and number two, the great commission. The great commandment, at least one place it's found, is Matthew chapter 22, verses 34 to 40. A lawyer came to Jesus and said, what's the greatest commandment? And and, and basically Jesus said, there, there are two. Number one, love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind and strength. Number two, love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus was talking about the fact that we need to love one another. And the interesting thing is this, if we love people, we will seek to meet their needs. I quoted a verse just a minute ago, Galatians five thirteen, 13, where Paul said, through love, serve one another. If we really do love people around us, we are going to try to meet their needs. Makes sense, does it not? So following the great commandment is very important. Following the great commission is very important as well. One place we see this is Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 through 20, where Jesus said, All power is given to me in heaven and on earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things, whatever I've commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Basically, there's one imperative in that sentence, and it's teach all nations, or really the word could be translated Make disciples. Our responsibility as Christians is to make disciples. Have you ever thought about the fact that before we can make disciples, we need to be a disciple? We need to make sure that we have trusted Jesus Christ as savior. We need to make sure that we are listening to his teaching and his preaching, that we are following his example. And then we can make a difference in the lives of other people. But we make disciples according to Matthew 28. By going, that's evangelism, sharing the good news of Jesus Christ. By baptizing, that has been called assimilation where people come into the body of Christ, they become part of the body of Christ and they have fellowship with one another in the church. And then it says, and teaching them to observe all things, whatever I've commanded you, going back to teaching. So the great commission is clear. That was one of the priorities that Jesus had. In fact, right before he left earth is when he, gave that priority to his disciples. We see the example of Jesus. He went around teaching and preaching and healing, meeting the needs of people. We see his exhortations. Two of the biggest were the great commandment, the great commission. We also need to recognize though, that just reading about what Jesus did or just hearing his teaching is probably not enough. I was thinking about that in preparation for this sermon. When when you look at scripture, a lot of the times when Jesus was teaching, when he was preaching, when he was healing, when he was giving commandments, guess who was there? The scribes and the Pharisees. They heard it. They saw it. And it did not make a difference in their lives. They did not experience a life-changing scenario when they encountered the Lord Jesus Christ. But the disciples did, what was the difference? I think it's possible for people to come to church, even to go to Sunday school, life groups, to, to, to even come to Wednesday night prayer service and not really experience a life-changing relationship with Jesus Christ. It needs to be more than an external Going to church, an external worship or, th- or anything of that nature, instead, it needs to be internal. It needs to be something we get into that we become passionate about. First John chapter one, if you'll turn there for just a minute, you want to you might want to No, you don't even need to keep your finger in Matthew four. First John chapter one. This is a, a very interesting start to an epistle, which is very personal. First John one that which was from the beginning, talking about Jesus Christ, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and our hands have handled concerning the word of life. Uh, The word word has to do with the thought or concept of deity expressed in a person, the Lord Jesus Christ. He was from the beginning, he's always been, he came down to earth, that's the incarnation, he became a man. And then he lived for about 33 years, spent about three years with the disciples and they spent a lot of time with Jesus Christ. They saw him, well, so did the Pharisees and so on. They looked upon him or gazed upon him, their hands handled him. If, if, if there was football back then, my guess is they would have had a touch football game. Now, I don't think they had football back then. Of course, if you live in Europe, football is soccer. Uh, And I don't think they had soccer back then, but I would imagine that they spent time together and got to know each other very well. They heard him. They saw him. They touched him. They got to know Jesus Christ very well. It says in verse number two, the life was manifested. Talking about Jesus. We have seen and bear witness and declare to you that eternal life, which was with the father and was manifested to us. Talking about Jesus, the eternal life that was with the father in heaven was manifested to us. He became man. That which we have seen and heard, we declare to you that you also may have fellowship with us and truly our fellowship is with the father and with his son, Jesus Christ. And these things we write to you that your joy may be full. In other words, the the disciples got to know Jesus Christ well. The empowering of Jesus Christ comes through a close personal relationship with him. It does not come necessarily through learning about Jesus Christ. It does not necessarily come through attending church. Like I said, the scribes and Pharisees went to a lot of church service where Jesus spoke. Instead, it comes through spending time with Jesus Christ day by day. How do we do that? I think we primarily do it by reading God's word, which he spoke to us, and by praying, by speaking to him and letting him speak to us through our spirit. So we spend time, close personal time with Jesus Christ, and we get to know him better. Makes sense, doesn't it? That was a difference between the scribes and the Pharisees and the disciples. They spent a lot of time with Jesus. Now, probably we need to ask ourselves a question. Which category do we perhaps stand in? Are we like the scribes and Pharisees where we go to church and, and on occasion we do other things, on occasion we pray before our meals and stuff, or are we disciples who spend a lot of time with Jesus Christ? Day in and day out, we spend time reading the Bible and praying and thinking about him. If we go days without thinking about God, if we go days without praying, if we go days without reading his word, we're probably more like the scribes and Pharisees than we are like the disciples. But I think it's interesting that even the disciples had a hard time following Jesus Christ and becoming more like him. We, we do see in 1 John 1 that they spent time with him and then they declared him to others and that's what we need to do as we spend time with Jesus Christ. We need to tell others about him. But what did Peter do when Jesus was betrayed and he was in the chief priest's house? Three times he did what? He denied Jesus Christ. Did he know Jesus Christ? Had he spent time with Jesus Christ? He was one of the three, Peter, James, and John, that spent the most time with Jesus Christ. But when the rubber met the road, he denied Jesus three times. What's the deal there? How could Peter do that if he had been spending time with Jesus. And sometimes we probably ask ourselves the question, how can we do that? How can we sin? How can we be so lackadaisical when it comes to living for Jesus Christ? Because we we read the Bible, we pray and so on like that. Well, I believe there's one more concept that we need to recognize, not just a matter of following the example of Jesus or listening to the exhortations of Jesus, but we need to experiencing We need to experience the empowering of Jesus. We do it by spending a lot of time with him, just like in 1 John 1, 1 through 4. But we also need to recognize that there is a supernatural relationship that we need to trust God to work in our hearts and in our lives. And I'd like for you to take your Bibles and turn to Colossians 1, 27 through 29. Colossians chapter 1 Verse number 27, Paul's writing to the church at Colossae, and his focus is on Jesus Christ. I think that's very appropriate. And in verse number 27, he's talking about the mystery of the gospel that has been made known to the saints after Jesus died and was buried, rose again. To them, it says in verse 27, God willed to make known what are the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is this, you ready? Christ in you, the hope of glory. It's not just a matter of spending time with Jesus Christ, but it's a matter of Jesus Christ supernaturally residing within us through the Holy Spirit so that we can be what he wants us to be and do what he wants us to do. There's a verse that some of you know, 2 Corinthians 5, 17, that says, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things have passed away. All things have become new. If we're with Jesus Christ and we try to follow his example, we can do that with our own self-will and self-determination. We could try our best to be like Jesus Christ. But according to God's word, we're not pleasing God if we don't have faith. It's a matter of not depending on ourselves. It's a matter of depending on him. And when we trust Jesus Christ as Savior, we're in Christ, and he starts to work in our lives in a significant way. As we trust him, then he helps us to supernaturally live for him. So we're empowered, number one, through a close personal relationship with him. We spend time with him on a regular basis, not just on Sunday mornings and Wednesday nights, but all through the week, reading the Bible, praying, studying God's word, and so on. But we're also empowered through an indwelling Jesus Christ in us. Uh, Jesus who is the hope of glory. Christ in you, the hope of glory. N- Notice what it says in Ephesians 3:20 20 to 21. It says, Now unto him who is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that you can ask or think, according to the power of that works within us unto him be glory in the church through Christ Jesus throughout all ages world without end. So he's the one who works in us. It's Jesus Christ who does the work in us. And as a result of that, we are able to live a different kind of life and we are able to serve him effectively. So through an indwelling Christ, the next two points are that he helps us to live the Christian life and to serve Christ effectively. A very familiar verse is Philippians 4.13. You've heard it many times. I'll start it, you finish it. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I can't do it by myself. I am not able to live the Christian life in my own strength, but I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That's supernatural work in us and through us, through Jesus Christ. Philippians 1.11 is part of a prayer request that Paul had for the church at Philippi. It talks about love, it talks about priorities, it talks about purity, and then it says this in verse number 11, being filled with the fruits of righteousness, which are by Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Fruits of righteousness don't come from ourselves, they come through Jesus Christ, and that's why it results in the glory and praise of God. If we do it on our own, we're like the Pharisee that said, Lord, I sure thank you. I'm not like other people. I do this and I do that. I think the Pharisees probably did lower their voices. But instead, we need to recognize that if we are bearing fruits of righteousness, it's through Jesus Christ and God is honored and glorified. Again, it's an indwelling Christ, Christ in you, the hope of glory. It's Jesus Christ living within us through the Holy Spirit so that we can produce the Holy Spirit, we can produce the fruits of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, self-control. It's the matter of an indwelling Christ. And when Christ indwells us, then we can live the Christian life supernaturally. When Christ indwells us, we can serve Christ effectively. Again, look at Colossians chapter 1, verses 27 and following. The mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory, goes on to say, him we preach, warning every man and teaching every man in wisdom that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. So Paul's engaged in some of the things that Jesus was engaged in, the teaching and the preaching. And we need to do that, but we need to realize that it's in Christ Jesus. It has to do with an intimate relationship with Jesus Christ and dwelling relationship with Jesus Christ. He, through the power of the Holy Spirit, changes us and uses us. Verse number 29. Paul said, to this end, I also labor, striving. striving. Some translations have struggling according to his working Which works in me mightily. In other words, I am really trying my best, Paul was saying, to preach, to teach, to help people to grow in their relationship with Jesus Christ. But I recognize that it's according to the working which works in me mightily. I recognize that it's God working in me and through me. So, it's a matter not only of living the Christian life supernaturally, but it's a matter of serving Jesus Christ effectively because of the power of God in our lives. We talked about the Great Commission just a minute ago, Acts 1 8 says, You shall receive power after the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the uttermost part of the world. When did they receive power? When the Holy Spirit came upon them, when they were indwelt by the Holy Spirit, Jesus Christ, the Spirit of Jesus Christ dwelling in them, so to speak, before Pentecost, before the coming of the Holy Spirit, what were the disciples doing? They were hiding in the upper room. Now they were praying and they were, they were depending on God and things like that, but they were not powerful until the Holy Spirit came upon them. That's why we need the empowering of Jesus Christ it's not just a matter of following his example or heeding his teaching it's a matter of a close personal relationship in, w- in which we abide in Christ he abides in us he, he, he is in us and he strengthens us and he helps us and when that's the case then we can begin to grow in our relationship with him I'm going to end up with one more verse I've I've shared a lot of verses haven't I Second Corinthians chapter three and verse number 18. Second Corinthians 3:18 says, "But we all with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image, from glory to glory, just as by the spirit of the Lord." You know, Peter once said about Paul, hard to understand what he writes. And sometimes it is hard to understand what Paul writes. But basically, when you look at that verse, what he's saying is this. When we behold Jesus Christ more and more, when we see him more and more clearly, we're going to become more and more like him. Isn't that what needs to happen? And in fact, if you put that together with Matthew 4, 19, follow me and I will make you fishers of men, the more time we spend with Jesus Christ relationship, the more we become like Jesus Christ, transformation, and the more that we are able to fish for men to make a difference in the lives of people around us, that's impact. But it's a supernatural thing. It's not just a natural thing. If we think it's a natural thing, we'll probably fall on our face time and time again. Even if we think it's a supernatural thing, sometimes we do that because we to take back control instead of depending on him. But it's only as we depend on God to work in us that he is going to change us to become more like Jesus and use us to accomplish his purposes. What do we need to learn from this? Well, we need to learn that just coming to church is not good enough. Just reading the Bible is not good enough. Just saying our prayers is not good enough. We need to focus on a close personal relationship with Jesus Christ, day in, day out, on a regular basis. Doesn't mean that we need to be reading the Bible all the time, doesn't mean we need to go around with our heads bowed down, walking and praying. That's even more dangerous than looking at your cell phone, texting while you're walking, if you have your eyes closed. But can't we meditate on the word day and night? Can't we be in a spirit of prayer on a regular basis? We don't have to close our eyes when we pray. Spending time with Jesus Christ, number one, number two, depending on him to supernaturally change us and use us, depending on him to work in us his perfect will for his honor and for his glory. I believe that's what it's all about. That's what discipleship is all about. It's not just following a set of steps or do's and don'ts or whatever. Instead, it's a personal relationship with Jesus Christ that makes a difference in us and allows us or enables us, empowers us to make a difference in the lives of others for his honor and for his glory. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray that you will help us to understand where we are in this process Some of us need to trust Jesus Christ as Savior for the first time. Making sure that that we're depending on on you to forgive us and cleanse us and give us everlasting life because of what Jesus Christ did on the cross. Some of us have already been saved and and we're just coming to church and that's about all we're doing. We, We need to make sure we're spending more time with you, that we are depending on you to supernaturally work in us and through us. Some of us are spending time with you and we are frustrated sometimes. Lord, I pray that we will trust you and that you through your spirit will work in our lives in such a way that it's obvious that we've been with Jesus. It's obvious that Jesus lives within us. Lord, I don't know where everybody is, but I do know that you want us to take the next step in following you so that you can make us fishers of men. We pray all this in Jesus' name, amen. Let's the end